I'm Larissa, and I want to help you find the best strategy for communicating the magic and wonder of your jewelry brand so you can thrive by doing what you love and filling the world with beauty and creativity. Welcome to the Joy Joya Jewelry Marketing Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Larissa Worstiak. Through this podcast, I aim to empower and inspire jewelry entrepreneurs and innovators so they can thrive by doing what they love. I'm passionate about digital marketing for jewelry brands, and I'm excited to share my passion with you. This is episode 142, and today I'm going to be sharing my interview with Amy Elliott, contributing editor for JCK, and the writer of the JCK blog called All That Glitters. In this episode, I chat with Amy all about the trends she noticed at JCK Las Vegas 2021, where I had the chance to meet her in person for the first time. Amy is a writer, editor, and brand storyteller who specializes in fine jewelry and fashion, and she's a former staff editor at The Knot, Bridal Guide, Brides Local Magazines, Brides.com, and Lucky. She was also the engagement rings expert for About.com, so she knows a ton about bridal jewelry, even though she gets tired of talking about it, according to her. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you. But before we get to today's episode, I want to share some marketing-related news and insights from the past week that caught my attention. So one article I saw from Yahoo was all about the piercing parlor or piercing party trend. So you may have heard of a brand called Maria Tosh Maria Tash, sorry if I'm saying it incorrectly. This is the most global and original of the luxury piercing parlor jewelers with eight stores around the world and even more to come. Piercings as a fashion trend has totally snowballed nationwide with lines out the door and many jewelers have taken the opportunity to even pierce shoppers earlobes with precious metals and stones. This is all the rage right now and the market is huge. It's an exciting space and it transcends any demographic because many different age groups, both men and women, love piercings. And it's something that people have been wanting to do after being cooped up for many months. It's something fun. It's a way to add color and sparkle to your face. I love that this is a trend and that it's only growing. So one article from JCK was all about the diamond retailer and wedding jewelry seller Brilliant Earth, and that they recently filed for an IPO. The filing values the company at $100 million, but the number appears to be a placeholder. The Brilliant Earth group said, quote, there can be no assurance as to whether or when the offering may be completed or as to the actual size or terms of the offering, end quote. It's pretty interesting to see a company like Brilliant Earth filing for an IPO. They have really heavy advertising costs. That's one of the number one ways that they acquire customers. And I think what they're doing is trying to really expand their physical footprint. So currently they have 14 showrooms and the showrooms yield approximately $8,000 in sales per square foot. If you don't know a lot about Brilliant Earth, they really pride themselves on tracking their diamonds and ensuring that they're ethically sourced and as they say, quote, beyond conflict free. So it'll be really interesting to see the growth of this company and how that growth or lack of growth influences the diamond industry, the wedding jewelry industry in general. Finally, I saw a really great article from Ad Age about 
social commerce versus e-commerce and how the lines are really blurring between the two things. So for some, social commerce is not necessarily separate from e-commerce, especially as these new platforms are really stretching to be more than just photo sharing or tweets. I think a lot of social media platforms are starting to think of themselves as e-commerce platforms as well to better service their business users who are selling goods online. Social commerce is growing rapidly. A lot of people think it's becoming the holy grail of marketing, even as TikTok and other social platforms build out their shopping features. Many retailers actually still prefer doing business on their own sites. So on one hand, these social platforms are trying to accommodate retailers, but on the other hand, retailers are sort of pushing back and saying that they wanna be able to capture and own customer data. So there's a little bit of friction there because if they truly give in to social commerce, it's if that's their main sales channel, if that's their main mode of selling, they don't necessarily have access to all the customer data because that social platform kind of manages that whole interaction. Regardless, product discovery is still and always will be a huge part of the customer journey and social media platforms really help facilitate discovery. I mean, how many times have you learned about a new brand on Instagram or learned about a new product on Instagram or on TikTok or on Pinterest? These social media platforms are without a doubt part of that first step in the customer journey. So social platforms are really taking that into consideration and trying to figure out how they fit into that piece of the puzzle. Well, if consumers are actually discovering products on my social platform, why can't I be with that customer throughout the entire buyer's journey and allow them to not only discover the product there, but also to check out and maybe even make future purchases. So I think that this is a really hot topic to pay attention to, the blurring lines between social commerce and e-commerce, and I'm really interested to kind of keep my eye on it and see how this evolves over time and also how shopping habits evolve over time and how are people going to be buying products through holiday and beyond. If you want to get the links to the articles I share in this segment of the podcast, you can sign up for my email newsletter by visiting joyjoya.com slash sign up and you'll get a digest with the links whenever a new episode drops. Okay, let's get to my interview with Amy and talk all about the trends in the jewelry industry. Hey, Amy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so excited to have you as a guest today. Thank you so much for having me, Larissa. It's great to be here. So tell our listeners a little bit about how you got into the jewelry industry first. Like, why don't you give us some background information? So um, I've been covering jewelry for most of my career. Um, I started out in wedding magazines um, and I worked at The Knot. Um, I worked at Bridal Guide. I was one of the founding editors of Brides Local Magazines, which no longer exists. Um, but uh, I was you know, a staff editor at various print magazines and websites. And um, during that, I had occasion to cover jewelry, mainly in the engagement ring and bridal space. And um, at Bridal Guide, I was a young editor, 26 years old, and I had a column called All the Glitters, which also is the blog, <laughs> the name of my blog on JCK. Um, so it all came full circle, but that really um, gave me an opportunity to educate myself as well as readers. So I really learned a lot about the jewelry industry in producing that column. Um, and 
um, made lifelong friends, honestly, in the industry. Um, some of the publicists that I was working with then, I still hear from on a regular basis now. And um, so that's sort of where I guess I cut my teeth jewelry wise. And then um, I always kind of worked it into like, I had, you know, like executive editor role at Brides, but I always, you know, we were short on stuff. So I pulled in all the jewelry for cover shoots. So I just always kind of kept a hand in. And then um, I was at Lucky Magazine and uh, got to know like the fashion jewelry side of things and like all these cool girl, cool girl I guess fine jewelry in a fashion context, the Zoe Chico's of the world, like those people came on my radar because before I'd been covering mainly, you know, like Simon G and Jacori and um, Megan Thorne and, um, you know, it's prominent bridal uh, ring designer. So this was a chance to, um, I was exposed to kind of fine jewelry as fashion. And, um, and then I went freelance and um, have worked for a number of, uh, fashion brands as a jewelry, as a, sorry, as a copywriter. And then um, when I was five months pregnant, um, JCK um, asked if I wanted to write their All That Glitters blog. And um, actually they had asked me at the time, it didn't have a name, but they wanted me to create style content um, for them. And actually I should back up. I uh, worked for about.com as their engagement ring expert. The site no longer exists. <laughs> Welcome to publishing. Um, but it was, um, it is now the spruce. Um, but it was, you know, I covered so much engagement ring content for them. Um, this is probably around 2016. Um, and uh, so that's sort of how I kind of re-entered that sort of marked my re-entry into the world of jewelry, reconnected with uh, colleagues and designers and, um, you know, just kind of re-entered that world. And so that's how, I mean, I've known Victoria Gamalski, my editor at JCK for years, but um, I think just the work that I was doing was uh, more visible. And, um, and so they asked me to write that blog and I, um, I jumped at the chance um, because I really wanted to cover jewelry in a more holistic way, in a way that touched all aspects of the industry. And that was in 2016. And um, I've kind of evolved the All That Glitters blog on JCK to be, I call it style and culture. Um, I'm very interested in where jewelry intersects with history and pop culture and current events and art and music. And um, so I, I've kind of found my, my groove. And I, um, I think I'm also known, people who read my blog, um, I think know that I cover designers and designer collections are some of my favorite topics to cover, doing a deep dive into um, you know, what inspired you, how you made aesthetic and creative choices and that kind of thing. So. Um, so that's sort of a very, very long answer to your question, but it's, it involves so many mediums and pit stops in the bridal world and online, and this doesn't exist and that doesn't exist, but here I am. And, um, I'm very happy to be, um, you know, an established voice in the industry. That sounds like such a fun journey. And side note, I used to love Lucky Magazine. That was like my favorite magazine of all time. <laughs> you were all sorry to see it, see it go. Um, no, definitely. I um, I was only there for like a year and a half, but um, it was great. So yes. <laughs> so 
So since you've seen so much jewelry and you like have been exposed to it all, how would you describe your own style and what do you personally gravitate to in jewelry? Well, as evidenced on my blog, I really like big, bold, glamorous jewels. Like I love, you know, I'm extra. I'm very extra. I like really opulent, beautiful, colorful, just high jewelry is like my favorite. So I'm, I always say I'm very drawn to like the glamazons in the room. Um, my lifestyle does not support that inclination. Um, so I, um, I, you know, and I'm a mom living in Connecticut now. So I've had to evolve my jewelry style as many of us have during the pandemic era, but I've had to kind of evolve it. So as where we sit today, um, I like, vintage jewelry. I love estate jewelry. I'm a big collector. So I, I do have a lot of estate pieces. Um, and I have been wearing a lot of necklaces. I've been collecting charms over the last year. That was never really my thing. I had a charm bracelet that I never wore, but now I'm like wearing them on necklaces. And um, that has been a really fun thing to collect. So I'm interested in pieces that like aren't out of place, like at the like pre-K drop-off, you know, I like, I, I, I try to wear things that sort of fit with the tenor of my new life. Um, and I also have like a stack of bracelets that I wear that are sort of gold and diamond um, chain bracelets because I, they're, they're lights I can layer, I can, and I can keep adding to them. So that has been, those are kind of the two big things that I collect right now are like charms and layerable necklaces, gold chains, of course, I'm definitely a gold person over a silver person, but I do love silver Southwestern jewelry. I have, I would say my tastes are very eclectic. Um, and I love, I, that I do generally like to have things be a little bit on the glamorous side. So, um, and I believe in investing, you know, investing in, in quality and I don't know, I, um, and there are some designers that I love and covet and um, have, have you know added to my collection and um I love coral I'm wearing a coral giant coral pendant Ooh, today very cool I, I picked this up at the antique uh the antique show in Vegas oh very um, cool. so and um I so that has I, I I guess like my my jewelry style has evolved over time I mean I definitely have like big I love big giant gold earrings like giant 70s door knocker gold earrings. I just, I love gold earrings of all kinds. And, um, but I've just, I've evolved it to be um, more layerable, a little more casual, a little more like something I can wear to the grocery store and not look ridiculous. Cause I did live in New York for 20 years before moving to Connecticut. So, you know, some of my jewelry would be a little bit more acceptable, you know, at a press event or a party in New York, but I no longer live that life. So I have to wear things that are more compatible with, um, with the way I live now. I like the idea of you starting like a jewelry fashion blog, just showing you like out and about in Connecticut at the grocery store, wearing like some <laughs> crazy statement pieces. <laughs> I'm just like, I'll have a, a quarter pound of the lean ground beef. And here's my diamond rings, my diamond stacking rings. I, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> so totally. Amy, we met in person at this year's JCK Las Vegas show. I'm curious, how long have you been attending this trade show and how have you seen it change and evolve over the years? 
Hmm. That's a good question. I um I probably have been attending it since the 2000, like around 2007, 2008. I think that was maybe my first show um, as, a, as a staff, on staff at these wedding magazines. And so um, when I covered the shows back then, you go around with your ad sales rep for the magazine. And, um, and so that's just like a different way to cover a trade show. They, um, a lot of times the editors will go around with the reps. Um, it's kind of like an icebreaker and the editor does their thing, looking at jewelry, snapping photos for what they might want to call in for a shoot. Um, and, um, and then, you know, you know, the editor can talk to the PR person and the sales rep can talk to you know, whoever's in charge of advertising. Um, publishing has changed so much in the last 10, 15 years that like, I don't, and you know, I'm freelance now, so I don't really, I'm not really involved in those kinds of interactions anymore. And in a way it's very freeing. I can kind of just cover the news organically and, um, and talk to jewelry designers and just kind of do my own thing and not be tethered to a sales objective, which is nice. Um, and so I don't, I don't know, like, I don't know what kind of business is being done um, at trade shows as far as selling as far as far as, far as selling you know advertising space. Like, I don't even know if that happens anymore. <laughs> um, so I would imagine that's one way that it's changed. Um, you know, I it's it, it's weird because it, it, we have not we had not been to Las Vegas you know in like a year and a half. So in a way, it felt like coming home, it felt very familiar. It was like, okay, I got, took a minute to like get my sea legs, train my eyes to like, really like be focusing on these small details. My face hurt from smiling, like all these, you know, my feet hurt, like, you know, all of these familiar trade show kind of things coming back to me. Um, it's, they, it, it, it honestly feels very familiar, but you'd have to ask somebody, like, I think it would be more interesting to ask a vendor, you know, what, what they have observed um, from, you know, just from the perspective of like, you know, writing orders and, you know, are people buying on the spot? I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I did, I can say that at this show, I saw <clears throat> retailers with, uh, you know, at a booth with like trays piled with jewelry, like their selects that they wanted that were then being set aside for immediate delivery. I don't know that business is being done that way previously or as much because, a lot of times I think the trade show was a venue for networking, for FaceTime, for seeing what's out there, seeing what's new um, and just kind of browsing and maybe not committing um, sure, to yeah. picking up a line. So, I, but I, the vibe at, at this year's Vegas shows was much more um, intentional and um, like, I just like, I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. I'll take that. Like a lot, like it was just, it felt a little bit more um, th like that there, it felt more, um, a, I don't know, just transactional. It, it felt more transactional. Yeah. Whereas, I heard that um, from a lot of um, vendors also that people that retailers came there with like specific goals in mind. Cause they haven't been able to buy for, you know, a year and a half and it's hard to buy stuff online. So being able to see the pieces, okay, we're good. Like, let's get what we need here. They needed, they needed inventory. They need it very, very badly. So, um, so, 
Uh, I, I will say, I think there's younger, a lot more, a lot uh, younger and newer voices um, on the scene than when I covered the shows 10 years ago it was always kind of like the usual suspects and, um, you know, kind of jewelers and designers that were like maybe in their forties and fifties kind of hitting their, hitting their stride. And now there's like a second tier of like the new generation or, or the next wave of designers in their twenties and thirties showing collections. So there wasn't a whole lot of that, of young, really young people kind of, um, you know, investing in, in, in the trade show format and whatever, like, I don't think there was a lot of that going on 10 years ago. So, um, but all in all, it's like riding a bike. It feels, it felt very familiar. It felt um, like, oh, I know I've been here before. I know what's going on here. And some people, you know, I stopped by the Simon G booth. I mean, I've known Z from Simon G for like, I mean, we both basically grew up in the industry together as I was a 20 something young editor at a wedding magazine. He was, you know, working for his dad, Simon G, one of the biggest bridal brands out there. And um, we were just like, here we are. Like he's the successor to the brand. And, you know, I'm, you know, just have been, I'm still covering jewelry, but in a, at, at a different level. And um, so, it's, uh, you know, it still is a venue for connecting and um, forging connections with people and uh, networking, um, but just a little bit, a little bit, a little bit different. Um, and it's just, there's more, I, there's, just, there's just more, like there's just more, um, more stuff to see. I Definitely. So how do you personally prepare for the show and decide like who you wanna see to make the most out of your experience? Um, I, this year and years past, I have put together a schedule of people that I wanted to see and people usually reach out to me and like want to book appointments and I kind of build my schedule around that. Um, I mean, you can't just like walk into the Mickey Moto booth. Like you have to like, you, know, you can't, you can't just like, you can't just like, so some of those guys, like you just like, okay, like, like Levian, you can't just like show up at their door. Like you have to be you know, there needs to be a formal appointment. There's a sort of, so there's, so for some people where it's sort of formal, um, you know, I kind of like slot those guys in. And then um, this year, especially, I was like, I don't want the pressure. Like, I just want to be able to like walk and see what I want to see. And um, I did want to support um, the JCK vendors because, um, you know, I did go to the Couture show and saw a lot of my friends and like, you know, obviously the design there is incredible and, um, so editorial and so important for all editors to see, but I just haven't, there are these, there are these sort of JCK vendors that have just been going to the show for years, like Casey designs or shy creation. And, you know, like, I just wanted to see them and handle their pieces because it had been so long. And I, um, it just, that so I really I guess I, I spent a lot of time at the luxury and JCK shows this year um seeing you know basically our vendor partners uh who you know invested in that that show and I um there were some newcomers who had never showed before ever and so I, this girl Stephanie Urbatis and I saw her and Nina Wynn is a good friend of mine and I saw her collection and um so I uh I always keep an open mind and, you know, the, the best case scenario, I mean, like the shows that I go to in New York, I never make appointments. I just browse and, 
and, you know, chit chat and, and just, you know, if I can find an opening, I'll go in and ask to like try pieces on and take pictures. Um, so that's like the most leisurely kind of trade show experience. And this, sometimes it's like a little bit intimidating. I mean, sometimes people are really rude and you're just like, okay, um, you know, I'm not trying to sell you ad space or I'm just, I like, okay. Like, I'm, you know, so sometimes that's a little bit, but, but again, that's like just part of life covering trade show. I mean, I've been having those interactions for 20 years now. So um, with various people, so um but I guess at this point, it's a little easier for me to cover the shows because I just, the, the names are more familiar to me. Um, you know, I, the people I probably follow on Instagram, you know what I mean? Like, oh, I know those guys. Or like, how do I know them? Oh yeah, like we covered them or one of my colleagues covered them. And so I just, you kind of, as an editor, you have to have kind of this um, encyclopedic like memory of of who does what, you know, who like just, and so it's just a, a memory bank of people worth seeing who've made an impression on you in some form or other. So, um, but I, I did make a point. I, and I, yeah, I wanted to see, I wanted to uh, just, I, I wanted to, some of these vendors, JCK don't have PR firms, you know, they have an enlisted PR. And so I, I just, it was important for me to like go and connect with their marketing people to like put a name, a face to the name and encourage them to reach out to me um, when they have new pieces for consideration in my stories. Yeah, definitely. I love Nina Wynn. I loved her booth and everything. Like I was vaguely familiar with her stuff. And I think I talked about this on last week's episode. Like I loved seeing it in person and handling it and seeing all the different elements and how they can be interchangeable. And it was really great to see. And, um, I thought well, it was interesting. Kind of, Sorry. Go ahead. I also thought it was interesting how you said people are rude to you. I don't know what it, oh, I've yeah. never had a trade, um, a press badge before for a trade show. So I was there representing my podcast and I feel like a lot of vendors like just kind of looked at me like they didn't want to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. They're, it, it, like I said, it was very transactional. Their focus was very much on, you know, closing sales. I mean, I tried to go to the Jula booth like several times and it was always just like, like she, like Melanie was just like, you know, just a hand over fist, like working with, working with clients. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's fine. Um, but yeah, like Nina is sort of the, um, queen of convertible and versatility and, you know, wearing different things. And I think that was a big theme of the show in general, um, or a big trend that emerged from the show was convertible pieces that can be worn different, well, pieces that can convert to, hey, like take this necklace apart and you get two bracelets, you know, or um, take this, you know, this is a brooch that can be a pendant and yeah, you know, this on snaps to this, so like these sort of engineering kind of mechanism convertibility things, but then also, um, like, you know, flip it over and there's, you can, you know, you can wear the enamel side facing, or you can wear the diamond side facing or like a curb bracelet. That's like diamonds on one side and smooth on the other. So like, if you're on the subway, you can flip it over, like a lot of sort of built-in versatility, not so much in, it converts to a whole new piece, but, a, you know, two looks in one kind of, um, options. And I thought that was um, really cool and smart um, to sort of offer that versatility. Yeah. I noticed that too. And I'm all about it. I love it. 
So what were some other top trends that you noticed at the show this year? I think everyone wants to know that's what they're here for. Yeah. Okay. Um, Well, so I was like, so we have a show daily publication. And so I was actually like covering, you know, this topic, like boots on the ground, like real time as it was happening. Um, The ones that stand out for me, you know, as I sort of prepared my thoughts for this conversation and and it was surprising and um but yellow diamonds was a big trend that people talked about um there was a lot of yellow diamonds just in cases um and so this is mainly in the bridal sphere so i guess just to back up like bridal is a huge was a huge trend everybody has a bridal collection everybody is being loud about their bridal and putting their bridal forward and as, as a subset of that is this whole new category of yellow. It's not really new, but um, for some people, <laughs> it will be new. Of uh, Just uh, more of a concentration of yellow diamond engagement rings. I think today's bridal consumer is looking for anything that like she doesn't want what her mom had like she wants it she wants nothing to do with that so on the, in many ways a yellow diamond could tick that box um because it's you know new and different and unusual for you know somebody born in the 90s you know um and uh and i think also just the positivity and joy that I really love the color yellow. It's, um, it's just one of my favorite colors. And, um, I think that just the joy and positivity of yellow, which was also Pantone's, one of Pantone's colors of the year, it was called, um, it was called illumination. They had two, um, Oh, illuminating, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Illuminating, but it's a bright lemon yellow. So Mm -hmm. that, that might've been a trickle down effect, um, but it just is so joyous and positive and uplifting and just like sunshine on your finger. And I think, I think vendors wisely, um, lean into that. And, um, because it, it, it is one of those things that if you see it in a case, you are just, it's going to spark joy, you know, it's because it's so, um, it reminds you of sunlight and it's whatever. And Levian, who is, you know, an industry lead, an industry leader and, um, they are definitely leaning into yellow diamonds. They were a big part of their trend report that they do every year. So a lot of um, just by osmosis, whatever they do kind of really trickles into trickles down into the zeitgeist. Um, they definitely influence consumer behaviors. Whatever Levian is doing definitely in- influences consumer behavior um, and appetite. So um, yeah, I so- just noticed in the summer issue of JCK, they had a two page ad spread just for the yellow diamonds. And I thought that was really interesting yeah definitely it's i mean they're all about these colored stones that's sort of their their um their part that's one of their core values is is these beautiful colored stones with the chocolate diamonds etc um but they do yellow diamonds really really well but like also like rahamanov had beautiful yellow diamonds and unique and um they they were just kind of everywhere so i I would definitely you know sometimes with jewelry trends it takes a while for them to um solidify and become you know abundant but that definitely was sort of an insider's trend that um that presented itself and um I think hearts were a really big trend. Um, heart pendants in particular, particularly like jet, like, well, there's two things like tourmaline, tourmaline or, or emerald, like, you know, satin, a bezel, 
and it's just a sweet little pendant um, or a hard stone, like, like a beautiful or like an opal, like a beautiful lapis or opal or malachite heart, um, you know, maybe the size of a quarter that would be, you know, a pendant that you could layer onto a chain or wear on its own or wear in a jumble. So um, that motif was pretty strong. And it's not like the sexiest trend, but um, just price point gold and diamond jewelry was was huge. I mean, almost every vendor had, not every vendor, but whatever, a lot of vendors had pieces under $1,500 wholesale. Um, that, you know, which means that if you are looking for pieces under $2,000 for your store, you know, that retail for under $2,000 for your store, like, I mean, there was just an abundance of options from the chain, the diamond chain bracelets that I spoke of to um, uh, just pendants and bangle bracelets, stacking bracelets, those like very like delicate um, open cuffs, those like wire cuffs with like little diamond tips or just, like, a, like a lot of options that, are going to be like, you know, 800 wholesale or whatever, or less or much less, um, delicate, delicate stacking rings, delicate little charms. I mean, even like unique had like a beautiful, like golden diamond ring for like 250 wholesale. So it, it's, I feel like a lot of, um, the bigger companies are, um, assorting their collections to include this more accessible price point. And that's really good for the retailers too, because it can help them attract a younger customer that, you know, when she gets the big promotion five years later, she, you know, she'll come and, and be ready to like buy a more big ticket item. So, um, and I always like a bargain. So I um, was excited that sort of excited me to see all these accessible, accessibly priced um, gold and diamond pieces. And um, I saw a lot of Malachite uh, again, I love Malachite, so maybe I was looking for it, but I feel like that was out and loud and proud in a lot of places. Um, at the higher end, beautiful rubellite tourmalines, um, these sort of raspberry red, gorgeous um, tourmal, you know, high-end uh, you know, luxury tourmalines. And then just like regular, regular tourmalines, um, you know, greens and, and yellows and pinks, like Lika Behar, beautiful step beautiful silver stocking rings but with a gold bezel and just tourmaline and just like so well priced and so I feel like the consumer like knows what tourmaline is um and is ready to invest in it and um and oh and then just necklaces in general layering 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 layered necklaces and um I think that I saw a lot of vendors kind of with the people working the booth or just on the, the bust, you know, on their, on their stand, you know, just showing like the curations and how to curate, like showing that um, just a look ready to go um, was really helpful. I think for retailers to buy into that trend um, because they didn't have to do like onesie twosie. It was already presented for them and, you know, and it was really fun. Like it, I, I think I mentioned Lika Behar, but she had emeralds, which I don't remember her doing emeralds. So it felt really fresh and beautiful. And we just put together this whole story with, you know, she was wearing black, um, a girl working her booth, woman working her booth was wearing black. And we just put like three like long necklaces all out. It just, so it was, um, so that is just a really addictive and fun trend. And um, 
we had, uh, my editor had observed that like, you know, for a while we were all talking about the big zoom earring because no one could, you know, people could basically only see like the top, you know, of our, of our, of our bodies on a zoom call. So, you know, earrings were kind of the, th the, the thing that was moving, but now I think people are like, you know what, it's a, you know, we're still in mask land. We're still wearing masks and it's still a way of life. And so it's actually kind of cumbersome to wear a mask with earrings on, like, especially if you like to wear big giant gold ones like me, it's like very hard. And so we basically, my editor was just like, you know, the zoom earring, you know, it, it's like make way for the mask friendly necklace. And I think that's a big part of it, that necklaces are mask friendly and um, with all this versatility and the charms and the pendants, there's just a lot of ways to kind of, a lot of wardrobing opportunities for retailers to sell their clients on, um, but, you know, buy this and it goes with this and it goes with that. And, and then, you know, and then you become a collector and you come in and you want to keep buying more. So. so many good observations. So you had mentioned bridal as a general trend and that pretty much everyone has a bridal line. Is there are there trends within bridal that you're seeing in terms of like styles, popular diamond cuts, lab grown versus natural? What were some things you were seeing within bridal? So um, it's something that like one of my colleagues had, um, you know, covered fairly recently, but that I, I think we're moving towards a bold gold look um, that which is almost like a bomb ring, like a bomb silhouette with um, the diamond kind of flush set, flush mounted into it. So it's um, sometimes they call it like a gypsy setting, but I don't know if that's okay to say. And, um, but it's that sort of sixties, very retro look, gold forward, inset diamond, probably an oval set east west. That look, I think, is emerging um, and feels different and fresh because the other, like the most popular thing with bridal is, and retailers hate it, it's um, the super, super delicate, delicate, delicate band. Yes. And it's just, um, you know, there's just a lot of physics issues that it, that, 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 that look um, presents because if you have a big honking diamond on it, it can't like you need a more substantial band. It doesn't work with these like tiny little like dinky blade thin bands. So, um, so that is we're, we're sort of at a, at a we're sort of at a, a, a you know a, a crossroads there where it's like the customer wants like a very like you know again doesn't want anything. She's thinking about like her mom who got married, you know, got married with a, a big chunky platinum ring. Right. And so she wants something that's to her, like delicate is like the antithesis of, you know, what, um, you know, of what her mother might have. So, um, but again, I just don't know how long the market can bear that because it's just, um, it presents so many problems with like repairs and just, it's, it doesn't protect the diamond as well. So I don't know that's it's, but there's, but there's plenty of that out there. So like, if you are doing bridal, if you're, you know, a retailer, like looking to add bridal, you know, for the first time, I would say, you know, definitely go on the slender side to start. And then, um, and then alternative bridal in general, it, and, and by alternative, I literally mean like rose cut, you know, like rose cut diamonds or, um, you know, colored stones, Montana sapphires, like that kind of thing. Like that's still just like a hot category. Um, again, uh, 
be part and parcel of this idea of like, I don't want my ring to look like anyone else's and I definitely don't want it to look like my mother's. So, um, and I think just like fancy shapes or, you know, pears, ovals, um, and I saw a lot of radiant cut diamonds. I saw um, Quiot debuted a proprietary cushion cut that I saw, um, but it's 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 more elongated and um, a little like sleeker and a little more elegant. It's not like a fat plump cushion. It's like very has very elegant contours to it. That sounds so, nice. Um, it's beautiful. I mean, they you know they're they're. Um, you know, industry leaders. I mean, they've been around since like 1902 or something. And, and um, so they, they did, debuted this proprietary cut, obviously based on customer feedback. I think the customer likes a cushion cut, um, likes that it feels vintage and likes that it feels, you know, different from around Diamond Solitaire. Um, so they just kind of improved on it and made it um, a little bit more modern. So um, those are some Asher cuts. I think, you know, it's, I think, um, I think there's a lot, I think most uh, jewelry designers that are creating um, what I would call, you know, what I would call like cool, you know, cool girl engagement rings are going to have a number of these um, trends covered off on in their collections. So you kind of, it's like a one-stop, you got to find like the one-stop shop and then, and go from there. I'm kind of glad that you mentioned that the more chunkier retro looks coming back. Cause I can't even tell you how many times I scroll on my jewelry Instagram, as I call it. And I see these like delicate little engagement rings with like little diamonds. And I'm like, Ooh, that's going to break so many times, or you're going to regret that. I'm just like, that's no. (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, and then, um, yeah. And so it's, uh, I covered bridal for so long that it's honestly not my favorite category to like talk That's about funny. or like, mm-hmm. think about. but I, but, but those are some, those are some trends and, and, um, and I think that, um, this, this, I, I do think there's a consumer that is, uh, you know, un- is interested in like pink diamonds and yellow diamonds and is like interested in like, you know, investing like the, like, like buying, buying the diamond for the engagement ring that's going to like hold its value and has um, a rarity to it, like a built-in rarity to it. And um, there's definitely a, a, a sort of cohort of, um, of bridal consumer that's interested in that. So that's something to think about. And I think that's something that guys, if a guy is the one buying the ring, like they probably warm to that idea of like the rarity and like, you know, that they're sold at auction and for, you know, millions of dollars and all that kind of stuff. So definitely. So since it's your job to like pick out the most eye-catching, interesting things for your work, what makes something stand out to you? Like what is it about a piece that's going to have the, that wow factor or catch your attention? And are there any examples of that from the show, like specific pieces that really did that for you? Um, you know, again, everybody has their thing. I love color. Um, I love, love, love color. And that's usually what I respond to. Like, that's what makes my heart flutter. So, you know, I think the first thing I posted on my personal Instagram was, um, a ruble, a rubelite, I believe it was a rubelite, a rubelite cocktail ring, a huge one, um, from Pascali Bruni. And, 
um, it was just like, okay, like I'm, yeah, things are, things are looking up. Like I, 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 this is, this feels on brand for me. Like I'm ready. Like, this is great. So, um, so, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, it, it's, it's really hard to say, but I will, I would say that, um, the designer Har, Harwell Godfrey, um, is Lauren is doing extraordinary work right now. Like I think she's got a really strong voice and um, just her her sense of color, the weight of her pieces is just so luxurious. Like I, like I held one of her pendants and was just like, I forgot what 18 K gold felt like. Like I forgot what like true luxury jewelry felt like. Um, and just all of the little details that she adds with the backs of the pieces. And it's just, um, it just feels fresh and new and modern and alive. Like I don't, I mean, you know, but you know, if I'm, if I'm in a price point frame of mind, like for a holiday story, like, then I'm super excited about finding, you know, like there's this website stone and strand and like they, they do mostly 10 karat gold, but like the price points are unbelievable. Like I refer my friends to them all the time. Like, it's just, you know, so it's like, I get excited about like a great bargain. Um, but I, but in general, like, I just, um, well, I also think about how it's going to look on the screen. How is this going to pop? Is this going to pop? Like, is this going to, is someone going to see this on JCK's homepage and be like, what is that? And click into it. Um, you know, so I guess an editorial piece by definition is going to be like that Pastali Bruni ring that I posted. It was almost like, like the setting was very much like an, un, like an unfolding rose petals and just like really intricate and conceptual. And, um, so like that, you know, by definition an editorial piece is something, you know, historically that was going to like show up on, you know, a model, you know, in a fashion shoot, like there isn't a whole lot of that going on right now, but it's, it's something with presence, something with color, something, um, that shows, uh, you know, thought and, um, you know, careful, considered, intentional creative choices. And, um, and then I, and then storytelling, this storytelling element is really important. Like, um, you know, it, I don't want to say like a collection could look like nothing in the case, but it certainly helps when like someone points out. So, you know, the inspiration between, between, you know, behind this is X, Y, and Z or, oh, this harks back to like the first ring that we ever designed. And so this is the evolution of it because it's our five-year anniversary, whatever it is. Like, like that gives me, I always like file that stuff away or I write it down <clears throat> or I, um, you know, those are the, those are that, that headline, you know, that headline, that hook, um, that's the kind of stuff that, that excites me. But like the low hanging fruit for me is, a, you know, new collection, it's new, no one else has seen it, or it's like coming in a couple of weeks, big, bold, beautiful color, like it's just a smart use of color. Emily P. Wheeler is another designer that just, I don't think she was at love her stuff she just has a really unique aesthetic I love her inspiration points like she's got art going on and like surf culture going on and like it just it's just extremely graphic and impactful and Deidre Featherstone is another one that I'm always just like aha like that's that, that those are sort of my that's those pieces are the ones that I like to cover and so there's like a good story and newness and then just like eye-popping colors or just an eye-popping diamond story um, that's going to come to life on, um, you know, on our mobile device or on the device, on your device of choice, uh, wherever you're consuming content. So um, that is, 
that that is that's that's I think that's I think I've answered your question it really <laughs> changed I'm sure some people like read my blog and are like I don't understand like how like why did she cover this or like what like I covered something so weird like covered something before Labor Day like Svedka the vodka brand oh yeah um they, they did a call a collaboration with this costume brand called Bon Bon Whims and it's so weird, but I just was like, I just love that like a vodka, that a vodka company like hit up this like fashion jewelry brand and everything's made of resin and the aesthetics aligned and they collaborated on a jewelry collection and like, you know, Ariana Grande wears their piece, whatever, like whatever the, the, the strategy was for that collaboration. I'm just like, I love that. I love the thought given. I love that that occurred to like someone in marketing and they pursued it. And I like to give, um, I like to uh, give airtime to thoughtful marketing initiatives in that way. Um, but it was, I'm sure people were like, this is so weird and like not high end, but I just had to cover it because I was like, it's juicy, it's colorful. I don't know. I just, so you never really know what's going to like float my boat. <laughs> but um, so that and then that being a perfect example, it was it was a, it was a weird story, but I like totally wanted to cover it because it was so um, just the, the ingenuity really appealed to me. So what are your predictions for the next few months? Take us through holiday and into 2022. What are you seeing out there in the industry? Uh, um, I don't it's hard to say. I mean, I. You know, a year ago. I was saying that, you know, the pandemic era was going to really, um, we were going to see incredible design coming out of it. And I think to a certain extent that is true, that um, a lot of people use their downtime to really um, lean into the creative process, really refine their voice, um, you know, come up with like great, great, great collections that are saleable, but also just compelling from an editorial standpoint. So I think that there that we will continue to see um, you know exciting debuts from um, some of our talented voices, um, but you know I, I walked them. Um, I would I was at Melee the show, um, which was in New York, and it was in the beginning of August, and like there were no wow pieces at that show. Like there was not like the only few person who had wow pieces was Ray Griffiths, and that's just like he doesn't know how to do anything else. Like he only does wow pieces, so he like the glamazons like he was like you know the glam like he was sort of like command central for glamorous jewels but everything else there was pretty like I don't want to call it commercial because that sounds bad but just um they were there to like move their collections and 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 provide retailers with like easy wins you know and and so i so like skasha has these um cord bracelets with like a little diamond pendant like a little diamond centerpiece but like tiny and delicate and just like stack them like just um you know again nothing that i'm like oh my gosh it's amazing but like it was it, it was thoughtful and it was um and it was intentional but like it, they they just i don't so i i do think that in the next for holiday and going into 2020, 2022, um, I, I think that we will see um, more price conscious, price, excessively priced collections or collections that are just easy for a retailer to sell. Like, 
here's this green story I put together. You know what I mean? Like, here's this, like, you know, look, I already curated it for you. Here's the ring. Here's the earring. Here's the necklace. Here's this. It's all green tourmaline. Goodbye. Like, I just, I think you're going to see a lot of that. So it's not the most exciting, but it's, um, but it's, I, I think it will be successful. So, um, like, um, I don't know if you know the store Gen Jewelry Boutique. They're in um, suburban Chicago, or she's like just outside of Chicago. Like, I feel like she has it exactly right. Like, she like if you go to her Instagram, like I feel like whatever she's doing for holiday is what people should be doing. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to check she, her out. I don't. I haven't like heard she of her has, before. Her name's Laura Kitsos, and she. She just has the perfect mix of like, you know, well-made fashion, but like a little, you know, but like, you know, she has some like pretty high-end important designers in her collection. Like it's just, it's wearable, it's chic and it feels like, like it just feels like stuff that like a normal girl could buy. And then you're like, ooh, that Sia Taylor necklace is a little too pricey for me. But like, you just, but the, but the, but the look of it, like it, it's, I don't know, like the whole experience just feels like that's what a lot of stores should be doing is, is this sort of artful mix of accessible and stylish and maybe on the demi-fine fashion side of things inter- intermingled with the sort of, you know, fancier designer diamond forward pieces. That makes so much sense. And I think people are starting to realize, oh, women like want to purchase jewelry for themselves and they don't necessarily want to do it like once a year or once every three years when they save up a lot of money, like they want to be able to treat themselves semi-regularly. So having those attractive price points for women who want to, you know, add to their collection and have high quality pieces, I think retailers are definitely paying more attention to that. Like I was at the live, the case, like the live in boutique at JCK was like two, like it was packed, like packed, 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 packed. And I couldn't even get in there to like, look. And I, and so like, you know, I'm one of the last days I, I was like, I want to see what people are like, what, what's the big deal over here? And I like, I went like, they just had something like they had, like, they just had like celestial stars and celestial and moons. And then they had some agate pieces over here. And like, they just had like, I was just, they had all those boxes ticked. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. I feel like I've said that phrase a million times in this conversation, but um, like, they, they just know that like, uh, you know, a retailer, like for a retailer, they're just like, okay, I know I need like some like celestial, meaningful, spiritual jewelry. Great. I'll take a moon. I'll take a star and I'll take a sun. Like, I just, it, like, I feel like that kind, those kinds of pieces are going to move and be important for holiday. And then we'll see, I, I, I you know, I feel like, um, I will say, you know, there's a couple of things like, um, uh, you know, Elsa Peretti's death and Aldo and the Aldo Capullo book that came out is definitely, um, you know, shining a light on 70s jewelry, sculptural, glamorous, sleek. Like, I feel like those two things that happened this year will maybe take hold, start to take hold next year, whether it's investing in actual, like, you know, Elsa Peretti estate jewelry pieces or, you know, somebody like, Ariana um, Bussard rifle, like who, you know, she's sort of designing in that vein of just like sculptural, like metallic, beautiful pieces. And um, so I feel like that look is, that look might have a moment soonish. And then also there's a Gucci movie coming out. 
um, about the House of Gucci starring Adam Driver and Lady Gaga. And I'm very excited. And I don't know. I, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, it's, I think Ridley Scott is directing it. Like, I don't know, Town and Country wrote about it. Like, I don't know if that's going to penetrate, but that's coming out in November. And I just feel like we should be ready for like a solid gold 70s moment. But I don't know, you know, it's maybe not for everyone. Gold is a fortune. I don't know. But like, that's something that I think we should keep an eye on. Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm going to look out for that for sure. (laughs) Well, thank you, Amy. This has been so fun. I loved hearing all your insights and getting the inside scoop from like an editorial point of view. And I'm so glad that we had a chance to meet at JCK. This was, you know, my favorite way to spend an afternoon. So thank you so much. Um, It was a pleasure to be here and chat with you. I had so much fun talking to Amy and all about the trends that we saw at JCK. If you want to check out Amy's blog, search for All That Glitters on JCK Online. You can also follow her on Instagram at a. Elliot 718. What do you think about our conversation? Are you excited about these trends? I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can always email me Larissa, that's L-A-R-Y-S-S-A at joyjoya.com. Thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe so you never miss an episode. For more information about marketing services for your jewelry brand, visit joyjoya.com where you can download our free ebook, proven conversion strategies for e-commerce jewelry retailers.